0: Coming up, the Greens claim Ipswich Council Division 3 is winnable with their two candidates. Can they repeat their inner Brisbane success? In this episode, meet lead candidate Danielle Mutton. It's Friday, February 23, 2024 and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting, trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. The Greens Party is putting up two candidates for Ipswich City Council Division 3. Danielle Mutton is running with Tracy Naylor and joins the show. Thanks for speaking with Ipswich today, Danielle.
1: Hi, Alan, and a big warm welcome to your listeners.
0: This is not your first run for public office. Previously, you ran for the state seat of Bundamba and the federal seat of Blair. Why turn your attention to council?
1: Basically, the big motivator for the Ipswich Lockheed Greens and myself has always been about making a positive difference in the community. And I guess one thing um, about us is we do politics differently. So basically, we don't disappear after elections. We continue to campaign on the ground around issues that really matter for the community. Um, So we're always busy. And it's important to have a positive change in the community. And not only that, Division Three for Ipswich City Council is absolutely winnable for us. Um, If you look at our primary vote from the last federal election and um, even when we had Pat Walsh run um, for mayor in the last council election, and even if you look back at Bundamba as well for the state elections, um, if you look at our primary vote, basically if we hold our primary vote and basically just get another 700 voters to switch their vote to the Greens. Absolutely winnable for us. So that's the importance of running two candidates uh, in Division 3, which is winnable. So... um, you know, we'll have very clear literature that'll say, vote one Danielle Mutton as a lead candidate and vote two Tracy Naylor as a second candidate, because we don't want to leak any votes to other candidates who aren't Greens, um, because we could potentially get two candidates elected. Um, at the very least, there's a really good chance we can get one elected. So, um, and that's going to be great for Ipswich City Council to have some Greens sitting on council.
0: It doesn't take much to draw a link there. You, you, you're hoping to repeat that in a Brisbane success and you looking there for inspiration. But Ipswich is quite different to those inner Brisbane suburbs. Population density is lower. There are different issues. Why do you think it's winnable? Uh,
1: well, basically, we've been doing a lot of door knocking and that's obviously something that happened in the in the Brisbane seats as well um, in the federal election where we had Greens elected. And door knocking is really key because they are there having one-on-one conversations with community members and it gives you a really good idea what the issues are for people and we've been doing that for months now, um, door knocking pretty much every weekend. Uh, and also those conversations are pivotal in um, getting people to switch to green and um, they've been really receptive because I can tell you right now when we door knock, 99% of people don't know the names of their current Division 3 councillors and have never had any interactions with them. And we're the only ones knocking on the door and asking them what's important to them this
0: election. You say that residents don't know their local councillors. So what are the key council issues that people are telling you and that you're campaigning on?
1: Yeah, so we do have, um, we have lots of policies and we'll be um, releasing them every week. But basically the three key ones, um, big one is is clean air and a circular economy. Um, And obviously that relates to the issues that we've got with the current um, concentration of the waste industry in our community and I guess the negative impacts when that industry operates non-compliantly. So we've got areas right across all the divisions where um, they're really impacted by the odours from the waste industry and people believe that their health is actually suffering and um, we had a state government petition as well, which closed recently, calling on the state government as a regulator to resolve those issues with very clear commitments we want them to make. And they've now got 30 days um, to basically respond to nearly 2,500 um, petitioners, and I was a principal petitioner on that. So that is having a massive impact on, um, I guess, People being able to enjoy their backyards, for their kids to play in the backyards, for people to be able to walk around their suburbs, for people to have their windows open. This is really serious. And the problem is the fines for non compliance are so low that basically non compliance is built in as business as usual activity. When they're operating non compliantly, they get to keep that profit. Um, So that's a massive issue um, for some areas of Div 3, but other areas as well. So
0: Danielle Council. has limited powers in terms of those big landfills, what specifically would you do differently to rein in, for example, those odour issues?
1: Basically, um, the regulator needs to be more proactive um, in relation to making sure that these operators operate non-compliantly. We need an environmental health event in relation to the pollution caused by the waste industry. We also need a public health inquiry into the impact of the waste industry on residents um, and immediate um, stop of any non-compliant operations until they can prove they can operate compliantly. Um, enclosing the composting facilities so those odours aren't emitted and that's the big issue at the moment. But not only that, Clean Away will be in court next week around their serious non-compliance. We're up for over $30 million in fines and we're calling on the Cell 3B, which is that problematic cell at, at the Cleanaway landfill to be closed and the state government to direct Clean Away to remediate and rehabilitate the site. Um, you, you can't really have these industries really close to developments um, so if they' if they're not interested in operating compliantly then maybe they need to find somewhere else to operate
0: can I ask you your thoughts on the current council? They have taken a very different approach to previous elected councils in terms of the waste industry. Uh, I've used the example of uh, the current Mayor, Theresa Harding, who has yes. been out there uh, advocating strongly. Councils spent millions of dollars on court cases, which is far more than previous councils have spent. W- what else could they do that they haven't done in the last four years?
1: I actually applaud the council in in their change of direction in relation to the waste industry, um, and uh, even the state government petition. You know that was in support of council direction as well. So Mayor Teresa Harding shared that petition on her own social media page. I think over four times. Um, so um, basically, our position isn't out of step with the council's position, but. Um, obviously I'm a community campaigner, especially around the non-compliance of the waste industry and have been for some time. Um, and it's not good enough that waste companies can make a profit by negatively impacting the health of the residents who live in our city, which is the fastest growing city in Queensland. Um, so basically, yeah, well done the council, but the state government has to step up because they're the ones who are the regulators and they're the ones that can actually can stop the non-compliance.
0: On your door um, knocking, actually, let, let's let, let's yes. move let's move on to your door knocking. Uh, what, apart from those big issues you've talked about there, what else are residents telling you?
1: Um, they they are concerned around um, some developments in the CBD renewal and and the um, budget blowout in relation to the CBD re, um, renewal. So there has been some concerns about that, and I guess that's because we're in a cost of living crisis. You know, people are looking at their rates. I saw someone's rate notice the other day, which they showed me while I was door knocking. And for a, a, a land block about just over a thousand square meters, they're paying nearly $900 in rates, nearly $800 in rates. I correct myself. Um, you know, and that person was underemployed, um, over 55 years of age. So, you know, that was a real struggle. So, I guess. People, some people are concerned about the blowout of the, the renewal and some people are concerned in relation to the anchor tenant in the venue building being the uh, cinema and the fact that they're getting a free kick and a free fit out uh, when people are struggling to pay their rates and, you know, um, put food on the table, pay for their utilities because the cost of living is increasing. Um, so, yeah, budget, budgetary Um, concerns are definitely being raised. Um, People in existing older suburbs feel like you know, more money's being spent on the newer suburbs. So that comes up a bit when door knocking as well. That,
0: that's a good old chestnut. I've heard that one for the last 25 years. <laughs> yeah. but, but the reality is they're not paying for the majority of that development in new suburbs because people are paying paying for it when they buy a block of land with all the infrastructure charges. It's a hard one to get through to uh, some long-term residents. Can well, I
1: just make a point on yeah, that? Um, on. There, is, there is currently with... When you look at state rules, um, there is um, some caps on what you can get developers to pay for when they're coming up with new estates. Um, so there could be some changes statewide. That means that developers have to pay for more infrastructure. Um, that would certainly be um, be helpful.
0: Can I take you to your campaign uh, page on the on the Greens website? You say yes. you want to clean up local politics and ensure transparency. What do you mean by that? What needs cleaning up that hasn't been done already?
1: So there has been some transparency in Ipswich City Council, um, but basically it's not just a one, you know, ticker box exercise, okay, we've made some changes, let's move on. It's something that you continuously have to do, look for ways to improve transparency. So I think that's work in progress. Um, myself, and I think that we should always be looking for opportunities to improve transparency. Not only that, what people are also saying to us is they're really concerned um, about being locked out of decisions that are being made in their own communities. So people want to be involved in decision-making. I know that council have the community panels because I've been involved in quite a lot of them myself. Um, But basically, you know, when you look at the turnout at these community panels, it's not massive really. No, Um, it's
0: not. And and they're also live-streamed and all the committee meetings are live-streamed. I'm I'm just not sure what else council could do to, to engage people.
1: Um, I think it's a bit, a bit like what we're doing. We're going out to people and talking to them. Um, and quite often, when you look at the councillors' mobile offices that they do, it's all about what's convenient to the councillors. When you look at timing and location, not necessarily what's convenient to residents. Um, so I think that, um, for instance, the council could be having more after-work forums, um, basing them around in different parts of the community. So it's not like everybody has to come into Ipswich Central um, to, to be involved in those things. Um, basically, getting out a bit more into the community and doing uh, and thinking about times and locations that are actually more sort of resident friendly to encourage that interaction.
0: Part of your platform on the website reads a little bit like a state or federal campaign. One of those there is affordable housing, that's yeah. more of a state and Commonwealth responsibility. How could a local council help? Uh,
1: basically, um, when you have a look at uh, something, some of the things that are happening in relation to the CBD, where you got empty shops that have been empty for a pretty long time, or even you might have houses in the suburbs that have been empty for a really long time for no good reason, um, we would say um, basically increase the rates um, if there's no good reason for them being empty. Increase the rates to stop the land banking, and then basically what that means is it encourages those owners to either rent out their shop or premises, or house, um, so that there's people in there. And I know that there's definitely businesses that are wanting to open up in Ipswich but can't find um, an appropriate sort of shop front to do that. Um, And definitely door knocking, you know, we've definitely seen empty houses that look like they've been empty for some time. So, yeah, encouraging, I guess, you know, using those levers that um, council can use to encourage that those are rented out. Because especially when you think about it, you know, the vacancy rate is less than 1%. So, we've definitely got an increase in homelessness. Um, People are struggling or being pushed out of the community. And, you know, not only that, we've got people being pushed out of Ipswich. Uh, sorry, out of Brisbane because they can't afford to live in Brisbane and they're coming out to Ipswich. So we've got that um, that extra pressure, I guess. Ipswich used to be once upon a time a place to get a cheap rent or not so much these days. No, so,
0: certainly not. You also state that this election we have the opportunity to tip the balance of power in favour of ordinary people. How are the other candidates not representing ordinary people?
1: Yeah, it comes down to vested interests and I guess where they get their political donations from. Um, we've seen previous council candidates take money from the waste industry. That wasn't great. And certainly, I guess with the Greens, we do not take political donations from corporations, big business developers, or the waste industry. Um, it's everyday people like um my you know, myself, um, our members, our supporters who donate. Um to the Greens, and we've also done a lot of fundraising as well over the last year or so. Um, but basically, yeah, we need to be careful about vested interests and who's who's put providing political donations because we know that big business and corporations provide donations because they get something in return, otherwise they'd stop doing it.
0: I've had a spot check on the Electoral Commission of Queensland uh, website with the real-time donations. From what I've seen today as we record this, donations from third parties appear to be at an all-time low across the major candidates. Have you checked that out?
1: Um, yeah, I do look at that from time to time. Haven't had a chance to have a look at it today. Um, it, and you probably find that council, it's not so much of an issue, certainly for state and federal it is. But in saying that, like I said, in 2017 we had somebody who was running for council then, who's running in Division 3 now, who took quite large amounts of money from the waste industry.
0: Danielle Mutton, we'll leave it there. Thanks for speaking with Ipswich Today.
1: No problem. Thanks so much for your time, Alan.
0: And that's it for this episode. Just a reminder to look for handy links in the show notes. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is listener supported. Please make a once only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich Today on smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode. Or go to ipswichtoday.com.au.